Hi there, this is How to Choose, the show that helps you make better decisions and improve your judgment. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tessa. And I'm Ken. And in this fifth season of How to Choose, we're examining eight characteristics of great decision makers. So what are we talking about this episode, Ken? Well, today we're chatting about the value of perseverance. Maybe to kick us off, do you want to explain why we need to persevere? Yes. So there were lots of attributes that we could have covered this season. So we decided to narrow it down to a manageable number. And perseverance is admittedly not the most obvious quality to discuss when it comes to decision making. I've read a lot of books on decision making, and it is rarely, if ever, covered in the many books that have been written. But there are a couple of reasons that make perseverance a critical attribute. And we're going to talk about those in this episode. The first is that making difficult decisions is not easy. Unless we persevere through the process, we risk settling for a poor choice. Difficult decisions take time and effort and energy. It might involve a lot of research, a lot of conversations, a lot of reflection, and sometimes it all feels too hard, particularly if, like us, you live in a culture that values instant solutions and quick wins. And there are a few kinds of challenges that might require you to persevere as you're working through those tough decisions. You might make initial exploratory steps in one direction and then have to change your mind and course correct. And that can be very frustrating. Mm. Or you might find that as you reach out to other people for input to help you make the decision, that instead of supporting and endorsing your idea like you thought they would, that they disagree and challenge you. (laughs) And that's often hard to handle. When we ask for feedback, sometimes what we're actually wanting is encouragement and endorsement. Indeed. And the danger is that instead of persevering through the process to get to a good choice, we settle instead for a quick and easy choice. And in the process, we can sacrifice a great outcome for short-term relief. Now, we need to acknowledge that the focus of our show is mostly about getting the decision-making process right. And you can't only judge someone's decision-making on the outcomes of their choices, can you? I mean, sometimes we can apply a really careful, rigorous process. We do all the research. We ask good, open questions. We listen to the advice of wise counsellors. We have a clear purpose. We have realistic expectations. But somehow things don't work out well. Why is that? Well, there can be a whole range of reasons. But ultimately, we never have all the necessary information to support choices. And we also can't see into the future to predict those really unusual events that can spoil our plans. And on the other hand, Ken, sometimes we're reckless and careless and we can't ignore good advice, we're aimless, we're unrealistic, and still somehow we land on our feet and things work out well. We get lucky, despite having a really poor approach to making decisions. But please, if you just heard that and thought to yourself, well, why on earth am I listening to a podcast about decision making if you can just get lucky? Before you unsubscribe from the show, please listen to this. A strong, robust process will vastly increase your chances of making good decisions, but a reckless, careless approach will vastly increase your chances of making bad decisions, and that's what we can promise. And I think we all realise that just because we hear of a smoker who lives to 100, that this does not mean that smoking is not harmful. Mm. Uh, In fact, according to the New South Wales Cancer Council, tobacco smoke accounts for around half of the estimated preventable cancer deaths in Australia. Yeah, it's a good example. Yeah. And so we want to develop a robust decision-making process, but also we 
want to ultimately see great outcomes from our careful decisions. And so here is the second reason that perseverance is important. Decisions take us to the starting line. Perseverance gets us to the finish line. Because perseverance is the bit that we need to do after we make a decision. It's the hard bit that's needed to turn the decision into an outcome. We need to persevere because it's the secret source that helps us reach our goals. John D. Rockefeller, the richest person in modern history, said this, I do not think that there is any other quality so essential to success of any kind as the quality of perseverance. It overcomes almost everything, even nature. So I would seriously question whether it's possible to achieve any worthwhile goal without perseverance. Look, it's pretty hard to argue with Rockefeller on this one, Ken. And I know we've talked about this back in Season 1, Episode 3, and you might want to check that out. In that episode, we mentioned the fascinating book Grit by Angela Duckworth, which we've both read. Uh, Duckworth has researched the role of grit or persistence and perseverance in developing skills and achieving excellence. Duckworth studied recruits at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point and participants in the U.S. National Spelling Competition, two Mm. very different cohorts. (laughs) Uh, Her research demonstrated that grit and not ability is a characteristic that is consistently and strongly correlated with success in those fields. The conclusion is that perseverance is a critical ingredient for success. Yeah, so you can make a great business decision. You can choose a wonderful life partner. But unless you then follow through and make the decision deliver results, it was all for nothing. And this might be a really good point to hear from a very special guest that we chatted with recently and someone who knows a lot about perseverance. Patricia McKibben is a champion trail runner. She is the top-ranked female in the International Trail Runners Association National League Australia. She was also the first female finisher in the recent 2023 Ultra Trail Kosciuszko 100-kilometre race. I'll just pause at that, 100 kilometres, finishing seventh overall out of all competitors. And this was only three weeks after she'd won the Stromlo Running Festival 50-kilometre race in a personal best time. Trish represented Australia too last year in the World Mountain and Trail Running Championships in Austria. So let's hear from Trish now. And now we're going to switch into the topic that we're super excited about, which is perseverance. And we, you, you're just the perfect person to speak about this, given it's, you know, it's what you're doing all the time. And in competitive races, just interested, we've been talking about what's going through your mind. Is your goal purely to finish the race? Are you, you know, are you thinking about how your body feels or about winning? In terms of main, you know, that perseverance when you're in the, the pain part, what's actually going through your mind? Yeah. So um in a any hundred K race, I would say my primary goal is to finish. 100K is so long that so much can go wrong. You know, you might never have stomach issues and then all of a sudden in this race, for whatever reason, your stomach doesn't cooperate and you can't take in fuel, you're feeling sick, you can fall like it's trail running. We're on really rocky terrain a lot of the time. So you never know, you know, you might just not feel good either. So you never know, I guess, in a 100K race, even if you look at the lineup and you say, oh, yeah, here's the top 10. You never know what's going to happen. So I don't tend to go into races with place goals. Obviously, I would love to win. I don't always win and that's fine. So I I try to set more personal goals because when I, I guess that mindset of going into a race, I can't control how the other runners are going to run. They're going to run as fast as they're going to run on the day. So all I can control is how I'm going to run and how I'm going to approach the race. So I do tend to set more personal goals about how I want to approach the race. And then if that turns out on the day that that's first, that's great. If it's not, that's fine. 
So I usually set multiple goals. So I'll have an A goal and a B goal and sometimes a C goal too. And I find that really helpful because if the A goal isn't going to work, you know, you wanted to do it in this specific time or lately I've been setting goals around trying to do it without being sick because I have a lot of um, nausea and issues. As soon as that happens, if that's my only goal, it's a lot easier to give up because what's the purpose? You have no more goals. So I do find it really helpful from that perseverance aspect to have multiple goals and I just work down and the final goal will always be for me personally to finish. Everything's going wrong. That's my final goal. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good point that if you fixate too much on one thing and then you you lose it, then it, you know it's almost like your purpose has has disappeared. So it's really smart to have those multiple layers of goals. And you know, again, it's being adaptable, which we've talked about this season, which is so important to being successful. Um, that you do need to be able to respond to your environment and change tactics um, when when things change. So I think that's a really good tip for anyone, not just in you know your elite level, but you know you can take that into your workplace or your personal life too. Yeah. Look, I know, and you mentioned it too, uh, Trish, that you represented Australia uh, last year in Europe in a really tough race. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I think that you're probably referring to the one that was just me. That took me a very long time. And um, I did have to come back to that final goal of just finish. Yeah, so it was 100 kilometres. It starts in Cormaillot in Italy, and you run on the Tour de Mont Blanc, which is the trail that runs around um, the Massif. Um, Mont Blanc. Um, so the whole trail was 171 kilometers, and I I did the shorter version, which is 100 kilometers. Um, so you start in Cormaillot in Italy, <laughs> and you run through Switzerland um, and finish in Chamonix in France. So it's kind of, I guess, the the pinnacle of trail running. It's the big event. Yeah, it's very exciting. I qualified through a race that I'd done the year before. Um, and yeah, the sort of my dream to go. Unfortunately, things just didn't work for me that day. So it was quite hot. We'd come out of an Australian winter and yeah, just couldn't take in nutrition. So got very sick from 40K. So I still had 60 kilometers to go. Um, There was over 6,000 meters of vertical gain. So I don't know if that means much to many people, but I know, um, Ken, if you think about our local Mount Ainsley, it's over 30 times up that. Um, That is insane. (laughs) So it's at altitude. So higher than our highest mountain in Australia. So look, it was just, it was a great adventure. I didn't know what to expect. My stomach did not enjoy it. So yeah, look, I started getting quite sick, uh, physically sick at 40 Ks. And um, at 50 Ks, I got to the aid station and I said to my husband, he cruised me. "Uh, I can't do this. I'm done. I can't do this. I'm sick. He just wouldn't let me pull out. He said, just sit here for a second, get your stuff, walk down the road and see how you feel. It was the first time I jumped so quickly to wanting to stop, which gave me a lot of reflection. I, I and since then, like in Cosmat in the Kosciuszko race, I, I did learn a lot from that European race, and I, I was able to sort of use some of my mental strategies a bit better. But um, yeah, I kept on going down the road and kept going, kept being sick. I didn't drink. I think I threw up for fourteen hours in total, and I got to eighteen k's to go, and I was I was in a really bad way, and I fainted. And was laying in medical for three and a half hours um, due to low blood pressure. So I waited there, and then I thought I sort of started getting eating, drinking salt. Um, if you have an IV, you disqualified. So I decided to sip salt water just to give myself the opportunity if I changed my mind. And after three and a half hours, I got clearance from medical, 
And I decided I did want to finish. I was only 18 kilometers from the finish. One more climb to go. Yes, I took off again into the night and I did finish, (laughs) which was wonderful. I I will just put it out there that I I did get medical clearance. I wouldn't recommend you do this. There are risks with ultras in terms of like kidneys. Um, so I had been checked for that with the dehydration. But yeah, I did decide to finish. It was extremely painful. I lost a lot of weight. It was the, some of the most pain I think I'd ever experienced, to be honest with you. Um, but I did get to the finish line. Yeah, and I'm going back again to try again this year. Oh, Trish, that yeah, so impressive. We've talked a bit about you know the physical and the mental, but but how much do you think success depends on preparing? and managing your body. And and it sounds like you working with your trainer that there's a lot of thought going into this. How much does it depend on managing your mind? And and do you talk with a sports psychologist about some of these things that you've mentioned in terms of, you know, the points at which your brain is telling you to stop and how you manage that? Yeah, look, I actually think it's the, the physical part is the easier part to train. And I think the mental part is like the edge. That's the extra bit. So in the last two years, I've worked a lot harder on the mental preparation side of things because, you know, the physical side of things, I get my program. It's really clear. You know, I need to do this much of this type of training, this much of this type of training that works for me. Um, but the mental side, yeah, I've been working on quite a lot. I read a lot of, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and I'm out for many hours. So I've listened to many audiobooks on mindset, which is probably <laughs> where I get most of my ideas of what I'm going to practice. But yeah, so I started trying to practice a lot more in training. And I think that whole perseverance and, you know, when you get to that hard part in the race, a lot of that's been practiced. So I didn't just show up and you know, get surprised and things weren't going well and it was 40Ks in, you know, I have training sessions that I I maybe don't feel good and it's easy to be like, oh, I'm not feeling good. One training session doesn't matter. You know, I'm four reps into eight reps set. I'll stop now because it doesn't matter. It's true physically. It doesn't matter. You know, finishing that extra four reps will physically make no difference, but mentally I believe it can make a difference. So, you know, if I give myself permission to stop at four reps because I'm feeling a bit tired, well, what's going to stop me stopping at 40K because I'm feeling a bit tired? So I tend to have the mindset that the mental part is worth finishing that set as long as there's nothing actually wrong, obviously, if you're injured. You should not do that. But if it's just that I'm not, not in the mood, I will make myself still finish. Even if I'm slower than what I was planning, it's for the mental training more so than the physical side of things. And I, I think that's it's really important to me um, so that I don't just get into a habit and practice just pulling out, if that makes sense, or practice yeah. stopping. And I also, yeah, so training not to quit, I guess, is what I'm trying to do there. And then I would also, you know, in each of the races, I guess, when I do get to that point, I, I do try and think about my why, like why I'm doing this. And I do try and practice that outside of the races. So making sure I'm really clear about why I'm running and I'm running because I love to run and I love because I'm choosing to run. No one's making me go out there. I, it's not my living. It's for fun. So knowing that before the race, it's not trying to figure it out on race day is really helpful because you can come back to that when you're at that low and think, well, no, I'm, I'm here because I want to be here. I've chosen to be here. Um, I love the whole process. And yeah, even when you're feeling low, that can help pull you out a little bit as well. But is perseverance sometimes a liability? You know, can distance runners become undone by refusing to quit? You know, and is discretion sometimes a better part of valour? Like, have you seen it with some of your colleagues that push themselves past that point where actually it was a smart decision for their their body and their mind probably to, to call it quits? 
Yeah, I guess it's probably happened to all of us at some point in some way, even if it's not running. You know, it takes a lot of time and experience and making the wrong decision to figure out what the right decision is for yourself. You know, I know I've done that in the past and, you know, done more, for example, even in training, trained more. um, And I used to get quite injured and I haven't for quite a while now, which is great. So I have this really measured, balanced training plan. Um, But yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of, unfortunately, um, at this sort of level injuries. And I think the hard thing is, is that we're all, for anyone who's um, trying to be the best they can be at anything, even if it's not running, you're always somewhat on a precipice of doing too much and too little. And to be the best you can be, you have to creep up to that edge of that cliff. Otherwise, you're actually not at your at your limit. And it's not till you fall off the cliff that you realize what your limit was. Yeah. So I think absolutely. I think perseverance can be, but I like to think of perseverance as a positive thing, you know, working towards something that matters to you personally and not giving up when things don't go well and just continuing to try. So So what did you think, Tess? Ken, that was so great. I feel like we almost don't need to do this episode. No. <laughs> we could just get Trish we've, to talk about Yeah, we've, we've become redundant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like she'd, you know, listened to every episode we've ever done. She was speaking our language. But, I mean, she has listened to an inordinate number of uh, books, I think, during her many, many hours of running. And so many great points. It's hard to, to narrow it down. But one of the ones that really stuck with me was her point about adjusting your goals and almost planning for some failure to some extent. So having a plan A, a plan B, a plan C and a plan D Mm -hmm. so that if you don't achieve your plan A, that you're not dejected, you're not giving up and saying, well, is there any point finishing? No, you just course correct. You've got your plan B ready to go and you now adjust your, you know, your mental sights on this new goal. Uh, It just makes so much sense to me, particularly for something that requires perseverance, like such a long race, but we could apply this in so many other areas too. It's absolutely applicable, isn't it? You could see this in the workplace, you know, as you're thinking about the year ahead and the goals that you want to achieve. I mean, it's good to have stretch goals, but if your stretch goal is your only goal, uh, then it's easy to to be left without any purpose for what you're doing if you, if you realize you can't achieve that. And I like the fact that she said at the end of the day, my final goal is to finish. You know, I, I want to get through this race. I was also struck by her comment that uh, when we were asking about the physical and mental side that she said, I think the physical part's the easy part to train. The mental part is the edge. And so to train the mental part, she's listening to a lot of books on mindset in order to improve her performance and also really practicing mindset when she's running and, and training. So I like that point that she made, because I find, if I'm honest, I find it easy to find excuses to not go out and do the hard things like, you know, doing my training, my running, whatever it is. But she said, if I give up halfway through my training, it might not have a big physical impact, but I'm training myself to quit. So when I'm in a race and I get to that really tough point where I feel like I can't go on, I've been practicing quitting so I can just give up. So I thought that was, there's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? Mm, I've heard that before, that sort of practice as you mean to perform. Mm. And it really does make sense, doesn't it? Because you're creating that muscle memory and that mind memory too Mm. for what you have to do next. Mm. So for me, I also thought it was really important that the point about when to persevere and when to quit. Uh, And, you know, you have to make some poor decisions in order to know how to make the right decision. 
Um, but it's generally a good a good thing. You want to be the best that you can be, be. You need to persevere, particularly in an industry like this. But when you're at that elite level, you're on a precipice, aren't you? You're, mm. you know, the yeah, risk, literal. A literal precipice, <laughs> in yeah. In Trisha's case, but yes. <laughs> and, and people have been really severely injured, mm. you know, in the ultra space and have also died yeah. because they've gone too far. Yeah. So really having that good understanding of no... It's actually a you know it's a bad idea to keep pushing yourself sometimes, and maybe in our our common you know everyday person experience can it's a bit like overtraining, isn't it? You're yeah. like okay, I'm going to go out and run or do whatever it is. It's not necessarily a good idea to push yourself too far because you actually might end up setting yourself back, giving yourself an injury, and making your goal harder to attain in the long term. Yeah, and I've listened to people who I respect at work who've said reminded me that our professional career is a marathon. It's mm. not a sprint, you know. So you think of how many years you spend in the workforce, you know, don't burn yourself out now. It's the same with your health. I mean, you want to achieve health goals, but you're thinking, hopefully, we're all hoping to live a long, healthy life, right? So we've got plenty of years to be building up gradually. And, and so I think there's a lot of sense in that. Look, there's a lot more that we could talk about because I think we both loved chatting with Trish. She's such a insightful person as well as obviously inspirational with the things that she's doing trail running. But we'll pause there on, in terms of reflecting on the interview. If you want to listen to the full interview, really recommend that you tune into that. It's available as a bonus episode as well. So Ken, where does that leave us? How do we actually apply this in our day-to-day life? Well, I think there's two things. If we're working through an important decision, then we need to do the necessary work. Gather your data, speak with people who know what they're talking about, and people who know you and will give you honest feedback. Listen, reflect, consider, don't settle for a suboptimal choice just to get the decision-making over and done with. And then once you've made your choice, follow through. Do what's necessary to convert the decision into a successful outcome. Now we're going to pause on perseverance there because this sadly is the final episode of season five. So we want to wrap the season up a little bit for you. For some of you, this might be the first episode you've listened to. Others have followed us along the whole journey. So let's wrap it up with a little bit of a, uh, you know, a hypothetical about how you'd actually use these in real life. So imagine you're leaving university and you've applied for a dozen different jobs and you've got a couple of interesting job offers. What do you do? Well, there's a temptation here to be dazzled by the offers. It's flattering to be wanted. And if you've been a poor uni student, the money is likely to be quite exciting. What do you do? How do you choose? Great example. Well, your starting point might be your purpose. You know, why did you go to uni in the first place? What was it that you were dreaming that you were going to do when you graduated? Because as you've just said, Tess, there, it's easy to be distracted and dazzled when offers and opportunities start coming through. So I think your purpose always gives you that clarity and it can help you to Ignore the things that are not aligned with your purpose and your goals. Now, don't stress if you're at this point and you you feel like you don't really have clarity of purpose. That's okay because I think there's other things that we can do, aren't there, to try and navigate through the decision. Yeah, exactly. Your next step would probably be to apply some curiosity. Talk to people who do different jobs, find out what they love or hate about their work, and particularly find out whatever you can about the companies or government departments that have offered you work. You want to really do a deep dive here. 
And being realistically optimistic can be really helpful as you're considering the options because you're striking the balance between believing that you can achieve your dreams, that you can do great things in this job, but you're also understanding the amount of work and sometimes luck that are required to reach those goals. And I particularly think about that when you're starting off a career. You can go in and be fairly impatient to move ahead, but you need to just take your time, put in the hard work and realize that the rewards will come, won't they? Mm. And as you said just before, Ken, it's a marathon. Yeah. Your career is not a sprint. Yes. (laughs) And then honestly, you want to really channel your inner knowledge-hungry Warren Buffett. (laughs) And that will make sense only if you listen to the knowledge-hungry episode. But you want to find out as much information as you can about those options so that you can make a deeply informed decision. And part of that is being reflective. So think about yourself honestly. What are your strengths and weaknesses? How do you build those strengths to become exceptional? And how do you ensure that you compensate for your weaknesses so that they're not liabilities? When are you happiest? When are you at your best? And making decisions really does require courage. It's like stepping off that bungee or zipline platform, which does you know, take courage for most of us. There's a few exceptions out there. Uh, Without courage, you can't actually execute a decision. And that courage might be needed even after you've made your decision, because sometimes you'll fall, sometimes things around you will change. And for that reason, you need to be adaptable. And finally, as we heard today, you will not achieve your stretch goals without perseverance, without a willingness to push through pain, literal pain or, you know, emotional pain and disappointment and frustration. Has that been helpful? And if so, what are you going to do with that knowledge? What are the tough decisions that you or your family are working through at the moment? Why don't you take some time to sit down with your friends, family or colleagues and talk through these different attributes and how they might be needed as you work through that decision? Well, thanks for joining us for another season of How to Choose. We've loved discussing these different attributes. Please reach out if you have any questions or if there are any topics that you'd like us to cover in future seasons of the show. You can contact us through our website, which is goodbetterright.com.au. Bye for now. 